0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now. Okay, well if you're new today, um, we are walking through the the prophet Isaiah. Just began that series a few weeks ago. And so we have come to chapter 8. Chapter 8, and we're going to be looking today... Um, At chapter 8 and verse 16 through chapter 9 and verse 7, which is about God's word and the Savior, it reveals. This is one of the beautiful prophecies of the coming of Christ that we're going to look at today. Isaiah chapter 8, and let's begin reading at verse 16 and follow along in, in your copy of God's word bind up the testimony, seal up the instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. Here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter. Shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promises of your word that we see here. We thank you for our Savior And as we look at this incredible prophecy and promise of the coming of our Savior, may we be reminded that you are a promise-keeping God. And may we go to your word and be people of your word. And may we see there the Savior that you have provided. May Jesus be lifted up and exalted today. And we pray it in his name. Amen. On the night of November 9th, 1938, Nazi thugs rampaged through the cities of Germany, destroying Jewish businesses and synagogues. It was called Kristallnacht in German, the Night of Broken Glass. And one of the things the Nazis did on Kristallnacht was that as they destroyed these Jewish synagogues, they would grab the precious Hebrew Torah scrolls from the synagogues and deface them and roll them down the streets. And they would burn these Hebrew Torah scrolls in the public squares and dance around them. It was absolutely demonic. What Isaiah here is telling us, though, is that there are other ways to lose God's word other than it being physically destroyed. And that's by perverting it or neglecting it. So, what do we see here in this passage? What's God saying to us? First of all, go to God's word. Go to God's word. Look at verse 16 of chapter 8. Bind up the testimony. Seal up the instruction among my disciples. When he talks about the testimony and the instruction, he's talking about the word of God. So what are we being called to do with the word of God? First of all, bind it. Bind up. The, testimony. the word bind here means to safeguard it, to keep it from being tampered with. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. I, I know that as a pastor, I am personally burdened about this because a pastor is a shepherd. And one of the things that a good shepherd does is that he protects the flock. And I feel protective of this flock when I see all the things that are out there that are tampering with God's word. Because I know that could even impact people in our church. And God's word can be tampered with in, in, you know, in all kinds of ways. I mean, from you know, something like Jehovah's Witnesses who actually have tampered with the Bible by changing it, like changing what it says to sort of suit their anti-Trinitarian views. But, but listen, there are all kinds of ways that are far more subtle, ways that are kind of actually within the evangelical world you know there there are people with best selling books in christian bookstores that have tampered with the word of god like the health and wealth gospel like prosperity theology you know that is not only impacting people here but abroad you know it's sometimes said that when america coughs that the rest of the world gets sick And that's true theologically as as well. I know as a trustee with the International Mission Board and and, and relating to our missionaries overseas, the the, the tampering of God's Word that has been done in prosperity theology here is now an epidemic in sub-Saharan Africa and in Latin America. And so we should be burdened about this when God's Word is... Is, 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 is tampered with. We're called to safeguard the, the word of God. What else does he say here in verse 16? He says, seal it up, right? Seal up the instruction. What does that mean? The word seal here means to certify, to confirm as final. In, in ancient times, official documents would actually have like an official seal that it, they would be stamped with right? So when he talks about sealing up the instructions, he about, he's talking about sealing up God's Word. What that means is that we are to confirm that God's Word is final. In other words, it is not to be added to. And there are all kinds of ways that, you know, people try to add to God's Word. A friend of mine was telling me about a, a TV commercial for um, Latter-day Saints, Mormonism. And in this particular commercial, a young woman walks out and she's holding a Bible and she says, "You know what? I love this book and I grew up with this book, but I never truly understood this book until I read this book." And she holds up the Book of Mormon. <laughs> you know, and so there are kind of overt ways that people try to add to the word of God. By the way, when you see Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons coming to, to your door, please be kind to these people. I know when I, when, I see, when I see Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons coming toward our house, I have two goals in mind. First of all, I want to be super, super kind to these people, right? They are they are. Uh, people that had been led astray, it could have been any one of us, there but for the grace of God go I. So I just, I want to be super kind to them and second, I, want, I am going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I'm not going to get into arguments with them because they're kind of pre-programmed, all the, all, you know, all the answers, but, but, but I, I am, I, they are not going to leave my presence until I share with them about the meaning of the cross, what Jesus has done for us, the free gift of salvation that is found in him the resurrection of Christ I mean I am I am going to share the gospel and you know it, it, seeds can be planted that the spirit of god can germinate at a, at, a, at a later point but listen be be kind and always share the, the gospel with people but you know what again what concerns me even more than you know uh, Mormons who have explicitly, you know, added added on to the Bible because we kind of know, right? They're coming from uh, from the outside. What concerns me even more is is people from within evangelicalism that have have ha, are adding to God's word and couple of couple of things. You know, when when you hear Christians talk about getting kind of fresh revelation from God, um. <laughs> You know, when I hear people kind of talking sometimes, you know, God, God told me this and God revealed this you know, to me or whatever. Sometimes I want to ask them, so are we supposed to like take those maps out of the back of our Bible and start putting in all this fresh revelation that you're getting from God? And I'm not denying here that, that the Holy Spirit does guide us as believers. I absolutely believe that with all my heart. He does. He does, but brothers and sisters, let's be humble with our language, right? We, we you know, God guides us through his word. It, it flows from his word, and so we have to be really careful, you know, not to give the impression that, you know, we're getting some revelation that's kind of added onto the Bible. Another way that um, I see some Christians adding on to, to God's word is through legalism. Churches, uh, certain churches, certain Christians, that get caught up in legalism and they, and they start adding all kinds of rules and regulations to the Bible. Who gives them the right to do that? <laughs> Who gives them the right to start tacking on to God's word all of their you know man-made rules and regulations and tra- and traditions nobody gave them that right and and you know the irony is that a lot of these people will tell you that they're theologically conservative but they're really not theologically conservative because if you're truly theologically conservative you're going you're not going to be adding on to God's word and you're not going to be subtracting from God's word you, you know Theological liberalism subtracts from God's word. wants to take away from what's written. But legalism does the opposite of that. Legalism wants to start tacking on to God's word a bunch of rules and regulations that are not in the Bible. And, and, you know, a lot of these people will say, well, you know what, but all of our rules are just sort of, you know, they're sort of just fleshing out the implications of what's in scripture. That's exactly what the Pharisees said. <laughs> they 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 invented like 613 of their own rules that they tacked onto the Bible. They said, "Oh, this is the this is the, just fleshing out what the Bible says." No, 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 no. God's word is not only inerrant, but it is sufficient. It is enough. We don't have the right to add on to it. We don't have the right to take away from it. What is there, right, is is sufficient for us. Um, Let's look at verse 17. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. So the word wait here is not just sort of like a passive waiting. When you see the word wait in scripture, waiting on the Lord, that is a word that is filled with eager, expectation, anticipation, hope, trust. And so in verse 16, he is telling us to treasure God's word, go to God's word, right? Dig into it, feast on it, treasure it. And when you treasure God's word and you take it in, then it helps you trust in God, right? We are waiting upon him in trust, in hope, in faith with eager expectation. I can't tell you how many times that I have been discouraged and I start, you know, digging into, digging into, into God's word. A lot of times pastors are discouraged on Monday, <laughs> but I can't tell you how many times on a Monday I've been down or discouraged about something and I, and I start digging into the passage that I'm going to preach on the next Sunday and it's like just the spirit of God just fills me with hope, right? And, 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 and my, my trust in the Lord is just renewed. That is the Holy Spirit working through the Word. And He can do that for any of us. Because the Word of God, Ephesians six seventeen says, is the sword of the Spirit. And so when we dig into God's Word, That sword of the Spirit does its work. It cuts out stuff in our lives that doesn't need to be there. It cuts into our hearts and opens us up so that the the peace and the love and the joy and the hope of God can flood into our souls. But that doesn't happen if you just bring your Bible to church on Sunday and then it sits on a shelf to the next Sunday. You know, inspired, inerrant, and unread. It happens when you are digging into God's word, right? And the spirit of God does supernatural work in your life as you do that. Verses 19 and, and 20. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, Shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them. So what was happening is that as people were running from God, and they were just sort of groping around in the dark and grasping for truth, they were trying to get Isaiah and Isaiah's followers to consult with uh, with dead people, um, trying to get in touch with with the dead and receive guidance from people who had who had died. Now our missionaries encounter this a lot. Uh, Laurie, whom many of you know, ministers in Southeast Asia, um, this is a major thing in her in her people group, is uh, sort of ancestor worship and trying to communicate with the dead. We see this in many other parts of the world. Uh, we see it here sometimes in sort of New Age thinking, which is, tends to be very, very cultic. Um, uh, it, it, there have been points in American history, for instance, during the Civil War, the American Civil War in the 19th century where so many young guys were dying in the war and, and as these, these families were just in such grief. They tried to deal with their grief by you know, getting mediums and spiritists to try to get them in touch with, with, with loved ones who had died. It's just so sad. You know, but, it was, but it was grief. It was grief. Listen, Jesus knows about grief. We're going to see in Isaiah 53 that that Jesus was familiar with grief. He was acquainted with sorrow. And he came to heal the brokenhearted. And Jesus ultimately heals the brokenhearted. You know how? Because he was broken himself. He became broken for us on the cross. But then he rose from the dead, defeating death. And so when we need hope, we don't go to some person who has has died. No, we go to the one who died and rose again for hope. We go to him. He has defeated death. Now, that's where we're headed here in chapter 9. We see at the end of chapter 8, go to God's Word, but now at the beginning of chapter 9, we're going to see to go to the Savior revealed in God's Word. So, let's look at chapter 9 and verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. So Isaiah is prophesying about, we've we've seen over the last few weeks, right, one of the things that he's prophesying is the Assyrian invasion that is going to come. It hasn't happened at this point. It's going to happen. That was going to come from the north. The Assyrians were going to come from the north. The first part of the country that was going to get hit by the Assyrian invasion would be the northern part of the country, and that's Galilee. And so, this area of the country, Galilee, was going to experience the gloom and the distress of the invasion that was coming. But what Isaiah is saying here is that it will not always be so. There is going to come a time when this very area, the area of Galilee that's going to experience such gloom and distress when the Assyrians come, this very area, the area of Galilee is going to experience honor from God at a time beyond that. Look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You see, Galilee, which was going to be the first to experience the darkness of invasion, was also going to be the first to experience the light of the Savior. Where was Jesus raised? In Nazareth little town right in the heart of Galilee. Where was Jesus' public ministry based? In Capernaum. Right along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So in Matthew chapter 4, what does Matthew say? Matthew 4, 13 through 16. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And here, Matthew quotes from Isaiah 9. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness, have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Let's go back and, and look at verse 2 again. Isaiah 9:2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Now notice the tense here. Isaiah is talking about the coming of Christ, which is was a future event but yet he's speaking of it as if it's already happened, right? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. But yet the coming of Christ was gonna be in the future. Isaiah speaks about it as if it's already happened. He's speaking in the prophetic perfect tense, which is a tense in which the prophet is speaking of an event that is going to come in the future as if it's already happened. Because you know what, when God says that something's gonna happen, even if it's in the future, it's a done deal. <laughs> now Paul does something very similar to this in Romans 8:30. Let's look at it. He says, of believers, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. But our glorification is a future event. We expect him to say here, those he justified, he will one day glorify. Because our glorification is in the future, right? When Jesus comes again. And we are raised with glorified bodies to live in a new heaven and earth. That's future. But Paul speaks of it here as if it's already happened. You know why? Because when God says that something is going to happen, it is as certain as if it's already happened. <laughs> Done deal. How encouraging is this? Because your, your, your future glorification, right? Your resurrection with a glorified body that, will, that is imperishable, you know, that will never be subject to sin or suffering or death, your, your glorious future, which is to do life in a new heaven and earth, it is so certain that the Bible speaks of it as if it's already done. <laughs> How encouraging is that? Notice something else about verse two. Let's go back to verse two again. Notice the sheer grace of of God here. He says that this light is gonna dawn on Galilee, right? So Jesus, Jesus was gonna was gonna be raised up in, in Galilee. A lot of his ministry was gonna take place in Galilee, right? The light of Christ is gonna dawn in Galilee. Did they, did they deserve that? They didn't deserve that. The whole reason why the Assyrian invasion was going to happen was the judgment of God because of their sin. They they had made a mess of things, and Isaiah knew they were going to continue to make a mess of things. Nevertheless, God in his amazing grace was going to send the Savior and what a message here for us because it means that no matter how much of a mess that we have made of things how many mistakes that we've made you know how how, how much how how many failures in our lives spiritually how much of a mess we have made listen we don't deserve the savior but the savior the savior has come cuz god saves sinners as I was working on this very part of this passage, I was sitting at my study in my office at home, and as I was working through this particular verse, the sun was coming up in the morning. I was like, Lord, thank you. I didn't do anything to cause that sun to rise, but you're making the dawn come anyway, right? It's just, it's just purely his grace, right? And that's what salvation is about, right? None of us deserve this. This is just a sheer grace of God. All right, let's go down to verse 6. Verse 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. How does God begin to restore his broken world? He does it in the most counterintuitive way imaginable. He does it through a child. And not a child that is born to money or power, but a child that is born in poverty, born in the most humble circumstances imaginable, whose first crib was like a feeding trough for animals, who's raised up in this tiny backwater town in Galilee, Nazareth. God begins to make a new world through the birth of a child born and raised in these humble circumstances, and yet this child is the king. The king of kings. The king who will bring an end to all other kings. Look at, look at verse six again. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. You know, I see some Christians freaking out about this election. (laughs) We should be the last people that should be freaking out about a political election. We worship King Jesus. King Jesus rules and reigns. He will reign forever. I'm not, you know, encouraging apathy or indifference to the things of this world like politics, I am saying let's keep it in perspective. What is happening today in the tiniest little country church as the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed is infinitely more important than what will happen in this election. What is happening under a tree in Africa today as brothers and sisters in Christ take the Lord's Supper is infinitely more important than anything that happens in American politics. What is happening today in the persecuted church as brothers and sisters in Christ are gathered this day in countries of the world where they are brutally persecuted for their faith and they are gathered in little apartments or they are gathered just in in, in homes and house churches and they get together and they pray and the wind of God's spirit comes into that room is infinitely more important than the way the winds blow in American politics. That is because the kingdoms of this world are temporal. They are temporal. God's kingdom is eternal. I love that old Gaither song. There's something about that name. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. That's what he's talking about here in the latter part of verse six. What's he say? He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I love what Ray Ortland says about this. Look at Jesus. As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. As the prince of peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. Speaking of his dominion, what does verse 7 say? The dominion will be vast. And its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. Let me tell you, when King Jesus comes again, he's not coming to tweak things. He is coming to rule and to reign forever. If you're not a Christian, and you're here today, or you're watching the video, if you're not a Christian, you need to get ready to greet this king. Are you ready to greet the king? He could come any day. You could die any day. Are you ready to greet him? There's only one way to be ready. That's by turning from your sins and trusting in this king. You see, we've all sinned against this king. We have all rebelled against this king, but the beautiful thing about this king is that he offers forgiveness and amnesty to all who will repent and trust in him. Turn to the Savior and trust him today. Welcome him into your life as your king and you will be ready to greet the king when he returns. If you're here today as a Christian you you ought to be concerned about helping others get ready to greet the king, because most people are not ready to greet him. If he returned, they'd be in judgment. There'd be hell. They're not ready. We've all got family members. We've got people in our circle with friends. We've got people that we work with. People that are within our, within our sphere of influence that are not ready. Do we care about them? Do we care? Do we care for their soul? God's calling you and He's calling me to be faithful, to speak to others the good news of Jesus, so that people can be ready. Who's your one? Who are you praying for? Who are you sharing with? as a believer. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Isaiah, who just so clearly points us to Christ. We thank you for the promises of your word. Father, I pray for anybody who is listening to this message. Lord, you, we know that you, you have people listen to certain messages at certain times for a reason. It is not an accident that people were here today or people were are watching a a video whatever whenever they're watching it lord you've you've put them in this place at this time to hear Lord, we pray that you would open hearts to respond to the gospel lord that people would see the love of jesus for them and what he's done for them in his cross and his resurrection and that they would turn to jesus and welcome him into their lives as their savior their lord their king Father, we pray that you would make us faithful as your people to go out and to, sh- and to be bold and loving and speaking to people about Jesus and caring for them, loving them enough to speak to them about eternal things, about the things that matter, about the salvation that is found in our sins his name, I hope you've been blessed by this message